Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton, and we are recording on Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. We are continuing to check out Fatima, The Great Secret of Fatima, A Spiritual Light for Our Times, Volume 3, by Father Carl Stellan of the Society of St. Pius X. This is taken from Chapter 6, entitled Fatima Fulfilled, The Triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Number 1. The Whole Message of the 13th of July, 1917. We have seen the profound meaning and the consequences of both the consecration of Russia and the revelation of the Third Secret. This allows us to now go a step further and deeper in understanding the whole meaning of the great secret of the 13th of July. We could call it the secret of the secret. It is the importance of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the end times. It is the concrete application of the apocalyptic vision, the devil's final attack mentioned in chapters 12 and 13 of the Apocalypse. The great secret of the 13th of July, made up of three parts, is nothing less than a Marian application of the final battle described in these chapters of the Apocalypse. In the first section of the chapter, we will compare closely St. John's vision with the secret of Fatima, so that the sacred scripture might provide us a deeper understanding of that secret. Apocalypse 12 starts with the majestic vision of Our Lady. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, Apocalypse 12.1. Her opponent is Satan, who threatens to destroy her. Then comes a description of events that relate to the first secret. A. The first secret. First, the mortal enemy of the Immaculata appears. And there was seen another in heaven, and behold, a great dragon. Chapter 12, verse 3. And the dragon was angry against the woman and went to make war with the rest of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. 12:17. The dragon, who is later referred to as the old serpent, 12:9, is Satan himself, marked out by God's curse in paradise. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. Genesis 3.15 Since he can do nothing to harm her, he directs all his rage at her children, the souls that he wants to ruin eternally. This is why, in the first secret, the Immaculata in Fatima showed the children the place of this worst possible misfortune. We saw something like a sea of fire, immersed in this fire were the devils and souls, as though they were transparent, black and orange, glowing coals in human form that were swimming in this fire. The devils could be distinguished from the souls by the horrible and loathsome forms of repulsive, unknown beasts. Yet immediately after this vision, Mary showed God's reaction, speaking about a superior way of preserving souls from these fires of hell. You have seen hell, where the souls of poor sinners go. In order to preserve them from it, God wants to establish in the world the devotion to my Immaculate Heart. B. The Second Secret The book of Revelation goes on to describe the first helper of the dragon, the beast from the sea. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten diadems, and upon his heads names of blasphemy. And the dragon gave him his own strength and great power, 
And all the earth was in admiration after the beast. And they adored the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they adored the beast, saying, Who is like to the beast? And who shall be able to fight with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all that dwell upon the earth adored him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, which was slain from the beginning of the world. Apocalypse 13, 1-8 Exegetes usually see the beast in these passages as a symbol of a political world power. The second secret of Fatima corresponds to this. If my requests are fulfilled, then Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, then godless propaganda will spread its errors throughout the world, stirring up wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred, and the Holy Father will have much to suffer. Many nations will be destroyed. How can this beast arising from the sea of hellfire, i.e. anti-Christian regimes, be conquered? Through confidence in the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the recognition of her power in public, social, and political life. This confidence is expressed and this recognition is made by means of consecration to the Immaculate Heart, but especially the consecration of Russia, the land that has become the chief instrument of the gigantic work of destruction accomplished by the beast, which has dragged half the world with it into the pit of communist atheism. This consecration includes conversion to the true faith, first at the individual level, but also in society and in public institutions and structures, in the church, among the various peoples, and especially the people of Russia, and finally in the whole world. See the third secret. Finally, in the apocalypse, a second beast appears. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he executed all the power of the former beast in his sight. And he caused the earth and them that dwell therein to adore the first beast. And he did great signs, and he seduced them that dwell on the earth, saying that they should make the image of the beast. Apocalypse thirteen, eleven through 14 The second beast is a further emanation of the dragon. Three times the evangelist calls it the false prophet. Apocalypse sixteen thirteen nineteen twenty, and 20.10 Therefore, we are dealing here with an entity that has the power to prophesy. Thus, it is a spiritual, religious power that is in the clutches of evil. This evil is none other than unbelief, which comes up out of the earth, i.e. from within the church itself. It superficially imitates Christ's teaching and the church itself, but in reality, this heresy in the church is inspired by the dragon and is entirely at his service. It had horns similar to the horns of the lamb, but speaks like the dragon. This is the essential content of the third secret. The almost total destruction of the church and a heretofore unprecedented number of apostate souls by the work of the second beast. That beast is incarnate, so to speak, in a new religious mentality that leads entire nations into the great apostasy, the orientation of the church towards the liberal and Masonic principles of, quote, freedom and independence from our Lord, towards a, quote, fraternity of all people, which tolerates and promotes all religions. How can this false prophet, this fake Christianity, be overcome? Only by Our Lady, who certainly gives to her oppressed children the appropriate weapons to overcome the most brutal of all attacks. The greatest weapon is her immaculate heart, 
and the strength of her children is their tender love and appreciation of how full of compassion she is and how much they stand in need of her help. In all circumstances, they will have recourse to her as their advocate and mediatrix with Jesus Christ. They will see clearly that she is the safest, easiest, shortest, and most perfect way of approaching Jesus and will surrender themselves to her body and soul without reserve in order to belong entirely to Jesus. Treaties of the True Devotion, number 55. D. The Great Secret. Heaven's Response to the Final Attacks of the Anti-Trinity. What, then, is the secret of the secret? It is the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the all-powerful, apocalyptic woman, and her final triumph. Despite all the terrible attacks and offensives of the devil, his apparent victories only announce and prepare the final triumph of Our Lady of Victory. God allows the darkness to become the darkest possible for just one purpose, to manifest, by contrast, the overwhelming light emanating from the Immaculate Heart. That is why heresies have developed today at a dizzying pace, so that at the moment of the worst trial, when it appears that the truth has been crushed irrevocably, the Immaculata will triumph over all of them without exception. In this triumphant role of the vanquisher of all heresies, the Immaculata will appear particularly as the mediatrix of all graces of conversion. As co-redemptrix, she puts an end to the abomination of desolation in the holy place and causes the sacrifice of our redemption, the mass of all times, to illuminate the world once again with its eternal splendor. The mediatrix of all graces of conversion ends the era of false ecumenism. The privileges of her universal motherhood and queenship destroy the cult of humanity, unmask the utopia of the Masonic paradise on earth, and show once again the value of the last things, including especially the unending beauty of the heavenly fatherland. By offering her immaculate heart as a refuge, Our Lady of Fatima gives the world the means to overcome even the very worst temptation, namely apostasy from the faith, a means without which mankind would be completely defenseless against the demonic wave that is sweeping the world. Accordingly, the three parts of the great secret of Fatima portray the three-dimensional working of Satan, who apes the Holy Trinity by operating in three different modes. The dragon strives for the ruin of souls. His two beasts are the immediate means for attaining his goal. The first beast is modern liberalism, embodied in the sects of Freemasonry and in communism. The second beast is the new world religion, built on the foundation of false ecumenism. Opposing this monster and its three embodiments is the apocalyptic woman, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Her great secret consists of the fact that she is the one who will crush Satan's head. By fulfilling her will, we can save our souls in a simple way. The promise connected with devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Renew the Christian world order, connected with the consecration of Russia. And finally, rescue the church, the third secret. Cardinal Sarahara draws the same conclusion. From the two parts of the secret already revealed, the third part has not been made known, but it has been written and placed in a sealed envelope and will be opened in 1960. We know enough to enable us to conclude that the salvation of the world in this extraordinary movement of history has been placed by God in the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the 7th of September, 1946. Number two, the whole message of Fatima. 
All these considerations will help us grasp the totality of Fatima. Fatima is the constant presence of our Heavenly Mother in the latter times. She is present to us and transforms us. Her requests, our way to holiness, her promises, our consolation, her mercy, our purification, her graces, our sanctification, her triumph, our glorification. We are present to her and render her homage. Our devotion, her honor and glory. Our consecration, her guidance, authority, royal dignity. Mary, Queen, our reparation. Her immaculate beauty. Our conversion and efforts for the conversion of sinners. Her being mother and supreme commander in the church militant. Our obedience, the triumph of her immaculate heart. A. Quia respects it, humilitatem ancelae suae. The central message of Fatima is, first of all, the exaltation of that virtue by which Our Lady pleased God infinitely and attracted to her soul an abundance of graces, the virtue of humility. It is striking that Our Lady causes so much damage to Satan and his empire with such a lowly and humble activity. She decides to take on the worldwide empire of Freemasonry and Communism by appearing six times to three pre-teenage shepherds in a remote village in Portugal. By means of those few apparitions, she inflicts great damage on the empire of evil. If we had come up with a plan of our own to defeat Freemasonry and communism, it would certainly not have been that one. This choice of God and Our Lady is a manifestation of the divine wisdom that St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort was always seeking to understand. It tells us where our real strength lies. It is not in physical strength, but in spiritual strength. It is not in power, but in humility. St. Louis states in his True Devotion to Mary, number 53, that Satan hates to be defeated by a humble virgin. The fact that she can inflict so much damage by such humble means must infuriate him. We can even go so far as to say it would be unwise for her to defeat him by any other means just as it would have been unwise for our Lord to defeat Satan by a show of merely worldly power. The fact that she chooses these unknown children as her instruments to launch her Fatima campaign against the allied powers of Satan is an encouragement to all individuals and institutions with little resources available to them. We, all weaklings and nothings, should understand that we really have more resources than we know by simply fulfilling the requests of Our Lady of Fatima as generously as possible. Her choice of the humble Fatima strategy demands humility on the part of those who follow her. It is not like following a Napoleonic general wherein you receive worldly glory. Rather, you have to believe in and submit to a message delivered to us by a shepherd girl from a remote village, Lucia. Can we not see in Father Donis, with his Fatima I, Fatima II distinction, an evident movement of pride and unwillingness to have messages of such consequence come through such humble means? The humbles, on the other hand, are satisfied with the proofs of the 13th of October, the proofs of the children's holiness, and will humbly and happily accept the striking fact that Fatima is indeed God's plan for the salvation of our age. It defies human wisdom, but manifests divine wisdom. B. Calvary and Fatima What the sorrowful mother is to Christ crucified Fatima is to the church in our times. 
We suffer seeing our Heavenly Mother so despised. She suffers infinitely more seeing her son once more rejected, crucified, and destroyed, this time in his own church. Thanks to her, the good thief and Longinus were converted on Calvary, and Mary Magdalene was purified. Thanks to her immaculate heart, in the middle of apostasy and the destruction of the church, all good-willed souls will be converted. Calvary is Christ's triumph in his ignominious death on the cross, and his mother's triumph when standing at the foot of the cross in the agony of her compassion. In the deepest darkness, there appears the brightest light. In the moment of apparent total defeat, the greatest victory is won. The same contrast will occur in the latter times. All calamities will fall upon the world because people wouldn't convert and fulfill her requests. But in the very moment of the apogee of the forces of destruction, thanks to her immaculate heart, the souls of thieves, unbelievers, and public sinners will be converted. On Calvary, her heart was pierced by seven swords of sorrow. At Fatima, she was pierced by a crown of thorns which penetrated her heart. What made her suffer on Calvary were the terrible wounds and the horrible state of her only beloved son. What made her suffer at Fatima are the terrible wounds inflicted on each member of the mystical body of her son by the enemies outside the church, pagans, heretics, and inside it, members of the hierarchy. But these very wounds and sacrileges inflicted on him and her at Calvary become sources of salvation. The biggest triumph of the devil became his greatest defeat. The deepest darkness became the origin of the most brilliant light. This contrast of Calvary is repeated in Fatima. The calamities announced in the great secret are the announcement of the Good Friday of Christianity and the church itself. Our Lady also proclaims the reason for the calamities, namely that her requests are not heeded. But in the midst of total destruction and when the devil is about to cry out his final victory, she accomplishes the miracle of the sun twice, the first time physically on the 13th of October 1917, to provide an overwhelming proof of the truth of her message, the second time after the fulfillment of the prophecies of the great secret. She will work an even greater spiritual miracle of the sun. She will bring back light and obtain the final victory of her infinite love as revealed in her immaculate heart. C. The Great Summary Fatima and the Most Holy Trinity, the Vision of Tui. On the 13th of July, 1917, the Mother of God announced in Fatima that she would come again to request the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturday of the month. The Mother of God then appeared with the Christ child to Lucia in December of 1925, when she was a postulant in Panavedra to explain to her the nature of the devotion to her Immaculate Heart. And on the 13th of June, 1929, the apparition in Tui took place, in which Mary called for the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart. Certainly, the first purpose of this apparition is the consecration of Russia and, through it, the fulfillment of God's great promises made by Mary at Fatima. To explain her wishes, Our Lady could have appeared to Sister Lucia in the same way as she did in 1917, when she communicated similar messages and requests. However, this time, Sister Lucia had an extraordinary vision of the Most Holy Trinity, which she describes as follows. Suddenly, the whole chapel became bright with a supernatural light, and above the altar appeared a luminous cross that extended to the ceiling. And an even brighter light appeared above the cross 
the face of a man with his body down to the waist. In front of his chest was a dove, also made entirely of light, and nailed to the cross was the body of another man. A little below his hips appeared a chalice floating in the air, and a large host upon which the drops of blood that streamed from the face of the crucified and from his wounded side. They flowed down upon the host, and from there they fell into the chalice. Beneath the cross, to the right, was Our Lady with her Immaculate Heart in her hand. It was Our Lady of Fatima with her Immaculate Heart, which she held in her left hand, without a sword or roses, but rather surrounded by a crown of thorns and all aflame. Beneath the cross on the left appeared large letters, as though made of crystal clear water, that flowed from the hand of the crucified down upon the altar and formed the following words, Grace and Mercy. I understood that the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity was being shown to me, and I received insights into this mystery that I am not allowed to reveal. Why did Our Lady want to combine her revelation with the vision of the Most Holy Trinity? Surely in order to show that the ultimate purpose and deepest meaning of her apparitions is founded upon the mystery of the Trinity. That all the particular graces that she wants to give the world through Fatima and other apparitions are directed to enlighten people on the place and role of the Immaculata in the mystery of God and redemption. D. Commentary of the Vision. Gesta Dei per Immaculatum. All operations of God towards the world happen through the Immaculata, said St. Maximilian Kolbe. Everything comes from God the Father, who sends the Son to the world, and together with the Son, spirates, breathes out, the Holy Ghost. The Father is the primordial source of all being, of all life, of all love. From the bosom of the Father, the Son is begotten, and the Holy Ghost is spirated from the Father and the Son as from a single principle. The mission of the Son is the redemption of the world upon the cross. In the vision at Tui, the cross takes up the whole room, from the altar to the ceiling. The cross is the revelation of God's love in its entirety. Through the crucified, all grace and mercy is granted to us. The blood that flows from the Redeemer's wounds is collected in the mystery of the host and the chalice. Christ's entire work of redemption is present in the Most Holy Eucharist, in which the sacrifice on Calvary is represented and renewed. The mission of the Holy Ghost is the illumination of the whole work of redemption, namely, making all of God's love shine forth as light, grace, and strength, and thus bringing God's entire work to perfection. This action, God's self-giving, his descent into the world for us and for our salvation, is collected in the heart of the Immaculata, which is entirely luminous from the light of the Holy Ghost and which receives into itself all of God's love. Her heart is the palpable expression of her inmost being, of her soul, which is completely filled with the Holy Ghost, of her intelligence, which is full of unfathomable wisdom, of her will, which is full of devotion and love. She alone stands there beneath the cross as the new Eve beside the new Adam, so as to bring forth with him the redeemed human race. She stands there as the first fruit of the redemptive sacrifice, to which sacrifice she owes the miracle of her immaculate conception. Her heart appears pierced by the thorns of Christ's crown of thorns. It means that she is the co-redemptrix, who of all creatures shares most fully in his suffering. She holds this heart in her hand, that is, she holds it out to us, she gives it to us, for she is our mother. Enkindled by the spirit of love, her heart burns for her children, which she bore on Mount Calvary. 
amidst a thousand pains, and which she now desires to snatch at all costs from eternal destruction. The Immaculata with her radiant heart now touches our world. Through her heart, there flows into souls the whole of the love-filled outpouring of the Trinity. This is God's actio, the initial movement of divine love, which the doctors of the church call the going forth or the exitus. This actio is also symbolized by the flowing living water that pours out of the wound of the crucified down into the world as grace and mercy. But there is yet more. The Immaculate Heart is not only the aqueduct, the channel through which God came to us, the Immaculate Heart of Mary is also our return to God. By the same path which God took to descend to us, we are supposed to return to him. My Immaculate Heart will be your refuge and the way that leads you to God. Mary's message during this revelation can be summed up in three words, which are also the principal themes of Fatima. Consecratio, reparatio, conversio. Consecration, reparation, conversion. Mary comes to the aid of Christianity in its tribulations, draws men to her immaculate heart, consecration, leads them back to God, conversion, and calls them to participate in the building up of Christ's kingly reign, reparation. At Fatima, and especially with the final apparition in Tui, the will of God was made visible to the whole world, so that now, in the end times, Mary might be made known to the world as the mediatrix of all graces, as creations return home to God. Mary's heart gathers the children of God and preserves in them the light of grace in the midst of a dark world. In her heart we can endure to the end, beneath the cross of Christ. It is in this way that the return through Mary to Christ in the Holy Ghost to the Father takes place. Oremos. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Prayer for the Hastening of the Triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our Tender Mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand, and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope, in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine Son to grant a special grace to the Pope, that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us, and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. And now to honor St. Joseph. Praises of St. Joseph by St. John Eudes. Hail Joseph, image of God the Father. Hail Joseph, Father of God the Son. Hail Joseph, Temple of the Holy Spirit. Hail Joseph, Beloved of the Most Holy Trinity. 
Hail Joseph, most faithful, most faithful coadjutor of the great council. Hail Joseph, most worthy spouse of the Virgin Mary. Hail Joseph, father of all the faithful. Hail Joseph, guardian of all those who have embraced holy virginity. Hail Joseph, faithful observer of holy silence. Hail Joseph, lover of holy poverty. Hail Joseph, model of meekness and patience. Hail Joseph, mirror of humility and obedience. Blessed art thou above all men. Blessed thine eyes, which have seen the things which thou hast seen. Blessed thine ears, which have heard the things which thou hast heard. Blessed thy hands, which have touched and handled the incarnate word. Blessed thine arms, which have borne him who bears all things. Blessed thy bosom, on which the Son of God fondly rested. Blessed thy heart, inflamed with burning love. Blessed be the Eternal Father who chose thee. Blessed be the Son who loved thee. Blessed be the Holy Spirit who sanctified thee. Blessed be Mary thy spouse, who cherished thee as her spouse and brother. Blessed be the angel, who served thee as a guardian. And blessed forever be all who love and bless thee. Amen. Rigo potens, ora pro nobis, sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis, in nomine patris, et fili, et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 150 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please share this podcast with everyone you know, and please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis. Goodbye, and God love you.